coming together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. Welcome to Resist Bot Live. Hey y'all, it is Sunday, February 6, 2022. I'm your moderator, Melanie Dion, and this is Resist Bot Live. Thank you for joining us. We had a little break last week after our amazing conversation uh, with Rashida and Christina about redistricting. We hope that you were able to catch the rebroadcast. Today we have another special guest and our panelists, Athena and Christine will be with us. We're here this Sunday as we are every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. If you're listening from a podcast, please be sure to let us know. You can hashtag LiveBotters and join the conversation with us. Today, we are going to be talking about reproductive justice and abortion. A lot of times when we had this conversation, we have had this conversation before where we talked about Planned Parenthood, and it was very important that we actually talk about abortion itself without couching it in anything else because abortion is healthcare. We're right now looking at still 50 years later fights over Roe versus Wade, which was about three years before I was born. And I am old enough, though I am not quite a grandmother. I can be a grandmother. And this is something. So we're looking at 50 years of a basic argument for the rights of women. So what I'm going to do is bring up the crew. We have Athena and Christine joining us this morning. And we also have our guest, Kia Smith. Hello, Kia. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be with you all. Excited to have you. One of our biggest things, we love to have people who are actually doing the work. We can talk and suppose and see how it impacts us, but we like to know how the sausage is made. So I'm going to catch up with Athena first. Hello, Athena. How's it going, Mel? Good to see you. Going great. Good to see you too, always. Thank you again, as always, for being on the comments. Yeah, happy to be here. Everybody chime in in the chat with any thoughts, questions, concerns. I'll relay it to the larger panel. But yeah, just stay engaged and we hope it's going to be a, I know it's, I know it's going to be a pretty fruitful conversation just hearing what uh, Kia has to say and the rest of our team about how important this issue is and what we can do about it. Because the thing is, we we keep having this conversation and it seems like we're still having the ABCs of it because we're just caught in this holding pattern over and over again. So I'm excited about the conversation too. Christine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Gosh, this topic, I'm really looking forward to your insights, Kia. It brings me back to my college years, right? Uh, Young student in Boston, 3,000 miles away from Los Angeles, and Planned Parenthood really played an ongoing role in just my four years there in terms of reproductive health, in terms of birth control pills, right? I'd go down the street every uh, you know month when I needed that. And I do remember memories of young women 
for whatever reason, they were there just like me. Also feeling that was, and especially in a college town like Boston, where many of us are, uh, you know, far from home, there was that safe space even 25 years ago. And so for me as a mom now over the years, you don't have to tell me twice where to show up to support something that has been part of why I am here today, the ability to be able to choose, the ability to have this support network, knowing that there are women out there and men who are, um, you know, being a stand for us, even when we're young and we don't know what we're doing half the time, right? And so that just it just takes me back to those years. And I'm just really glad to be here. Thank you. And isn't that like part of what we're doing, making sure that the people behind us are, are able to have those same rights? Because I mean, I'm I'm 45. I have way more childbearing years behind me than I do ahead of me. So these laws are not necessarily going to have a big impact on me and and, and how I navigate life, but they will for my daughter. They will for any grandchildren I may have. And that's a part of it that's important for me, which is why I appreciate people like Kia. Hi, Kia. So let's get into it. Can you talk to us first about what you do and what your role is in this fight for reproductive justice? Sure. My name is Kia Smith. By day, I'm a digital director and acting VP of comms and digital for a national uh, advocacy organization where we do a lot of organizing around progressive issues. And by night, I'm a procrastinating writer and content creator who sits at the intersection of theology, culture, and justice. So I like to find conversations like the reproductive justice and talk about the theology behind it and why it's important for us to respect the dignity of people who are having abortions and their own ability to decide their health care for themselves. And then to connect that with culture and how it shows up in our day-to-day life and talk about it also from a justice standpoint. So I do a lot of writing, speaking, and creating events that help shape the narrative and shift the culture uh, to make sure that all marginalized people have access to the care and supports they need, not just to survive, but to thrive in our communities and society. That's one of the things, one of the things that struck me about you, it was when there are people who do reproductive justice work who are in the theology community, that is often where we as women face the biggest pushback. So what moved you to, to join the two, to see this need and join the two and make that part of your work? Because religion and theology has been used to restrict what women do with their body and to dominate women from a sexist and patriarchal lens. But in reality, that's not who I know God to be. And that's not how God has ever showed up in my life. I know God to be a God of like love and liberation. And that does not come with controlling. That does not come with controlling women's bodies. It does not come with making paternalistic decisions over other people. It does not come with building a culture and society that truly does not support life through its structures and systems, like like our ability to survive and thrive, but wants to force us to give birth into this world without addressing the other structures that we need to live and live well. I appreciate that because when we look at the pushback against abortion, a lot of that, we're not usually dealing with the, the people who are going to feel the brunt of it aren't necessarily people with money or people with access. We're often dealing with economically disadvantaged or otherwise marginalized people. You're in Georgia, which 
Hey, it just flipped blue. Okay. <laughs> so, and you were, you were one of the people who, who did a lot of work to make that possible. So thank you because we're able to have conversations like this because there are for, for the purpose of advocating for the people who need it. I think with many of us, especially when we're either women or black or other POC, we can look at things from a partisan level, but we still have to look at how this is affecting us. So it's not necessarily, it goes beyond just, hey, hey, it's blue, but this is who is giving us the service, who is reaching the people, who are giving people the services that we need. So what stumbling blocks did you come against or do you come against in your work in a state like that, that is still kind of, you know, we can say blue, it's still probably mostly purple, maybe a lightish purple. So what is, what does that work look like in an environment like that for you? I think there are two big stumbling blocks that I would need. And one is the way that our Republican legislators have codified power so that even when legislation is popular with people, voting rights legislation is popular with the majority of the public, reproductive justice, abortion care is popular with the majority of the people. But we have so gerrymandered and codified partisan power that Republican legislators in states like Georgia have the ability to pass unpopular laws without it having any consequences to them. And it is such it's such a complex system to be absolutely honest, that a lot of the public doesn't understand it. But you have the money that's at play, the big dollars that they're able to fund in to drive their agendas. You have the gerrymandering of districts so that you are protecting legislators. You create districts that protect the power of those who are in uh, power. So despite Georgia becoming more diverse and bringing in younger and more educated voters, those numbers, we may be able to elect like federal level, statewide Democratic senators. We may be able to elect Stacey Abrams in 2020, but those legislative seats will still be so gerrymandered that it guarantees Republican control who are the ones who are passing our state laws. That gets even more complicated when we start talking about how they are changing electoral board laws so that they also get to decide like how votes are certified in the state that may take power away from the people who are actually voting. When we look at that, that's one of the big things I think last week we talked about it when we were talking about redistricting. The people who support role in this country. I think it's something like 60%, if I'm not mistaken, polled. And the comment was made that abortion is not a political issue. It's not a conservative, liberal issue. It's a gerrymandered issue. It made me think about real world Los Angeles homecoming. So in season two of Real World, Tammy Rowan who we know from like Basketball Wives and now one of the original like reality TV stars, she had an abortion on television. And as it was broadcast in 1993, it seemed like very isolating. You saw this young black girl who was going through an abortion. She went through all the emotions that always come up. But as she comes back almost 20 years later to talk about it, what you realize is every woman in that house had also had an abortion before Tammy. So it's something that we all encounter. We all have these abortion stories or we're connected to people who have abortion stories across the political uh, spectrum, across like lived experience. It's something that affects us all. So to treat it as something that 
a majority of people don't understand or connect to or haven't had personal experience with. It's a way to increase that isolation and shame instead of opening up the conversation and having a real conversation about health care, because that's what the decision is about. When we look at the big boy, I'll call it SB8, the so-called heart, heartbeat bill in Texas, when it addresses the heartbeat of the fetus, there's nothing that addresses how Black infants are twice as likely to not see their first birthday in Texas. It doesn't address how the mortality rate for Black women, I think it's 17.9 for white women per 100,000 births in Texas. It's 44. So it's more than twice for Black women. So when you start looking at these restrictions and, and the lack of care that comes around it, it comes back to it being an attack against disadvantaged people. And, and how that can be segmented. I mean, I'm a 45-year-old woman with health insurance. Even with these restrictions, if I needed an abortion, I more or less have the resources to figure out how to get where I need to get one. Someone else, a 25-year-old who's just out of college, may not have that. So we're looking at an attack against just, just another way to penalize people for, for being poor and disadvantaged. Absolutely. And even when you look at what it takes to care for a kid. So let's say for some reason people have these kids. We don't provide paid leave. We have no federal paid leave policies for parents who give birth. We don't provide child care. Our child care costs are unaffordable. So what you're doing is you are creating a system and structure where you're forcing people to give birth to kids and you're not providing them with the structures or supports to care for those kids well, not from infancy throughout college. If we are truly going to be about life and ensuring that we are able to thrive, we have to build systems to support that and not try to control women's reproductive choices. That is a backwards way of thinking about it. And it tells me that you really don't care about life or babies, you care about the control of women and their bodies. I think all of us, we're mostly in in the same age group, more or less. I think we're all uh, very close in age. So I like to, to ask everyone from your personal experience and just having been a woman <laughs> all your life, do you feel that the conversation has deteriorated? Because for me, I like I remember when Tammy, that episode and how it felt like things were progressing forward. It does not seem that way to me now. It seems like it's still, we're kind of just in this holding pattern. I feel like we've been having the same conversation for 50 years. I feel like we have too. <laughs> so, you know, what's frustrating, I think for me, I feel like every time uh, we collectively who are aligned take steps forward, there is energy that comes at us that pushes us two steps back. This is what it's felt like for the last five, six years, I think many of us are exhausted, but still it also activates this fighting spirit in us where it's like, no, you're not going to do that because I know what is possible and I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I think at a time where many of us are exhausted and many of us feel that pressure of, you know, being pushed two steps back, what I'm here to show up and be like, what is everyone else doing about this? You see what I'm seeing? So that's where I'm at with this in a year of elections, right? And it doesn't seem coincidental when we look at more women than ever being involved in politics, more women completing college, more women 
not having lives necessarily derailed by unplanned pregnancies, because we've all experienced that, especially, you know, I, I remember being in my early, my, my mid-teens, knowing girls who were, were on a certain path and, and it got derailed. When we look at what access to abortion can make possible for us in terms of achievement for women or anyone who can get pregnant, it does not seem like a coincidence that government, mainly men, are like, okay, nope, we're going to shut that down like today. It's it's just not a, it, it doesn't strike me as a coincidence at all. I find, and to what Christine was saying, we have been completely outplayed on this t- issue and topic. I felt we, the progressives, liberals, lefts, have in many ways sat back on our laurels that this is a right, this is something that we have, and we have been completely outplayed by the continued polarization of the topic. I loved, Kia, what you had to say, this idea of culture, theology, justice intersection. If the Democrats would take half as much energy as the Republicans have when it comes to calling out the fact that this is a healthcare issue, it's a larger issue to what you were talking about, Mel, this idea of, so when the baby is born, what safeguards are in place to ensure that they have an education, that they have healthcare, that the mother is supported, that there are social constructs that would facilitate their success in society. That conversation is a very important conversation that needs to be had. And yet the spin on this has been about heartbeats, has been about genocide of the unborn. And it's like, there's nothing on the other side as much as I'm sorry, not to discredit the amazing work that has been done by fantastic activists and people doing that, but it is completely drowned out and has been polarized to affect that. This, I feel in many cases, a an Achilles heel in the Democratic Party. Once we achieve something, once we attain something, the foot is let off the gas pedal and the overwhelming swing of that pendulum the other way completely derails, I feel, some of the progress that's been made in the last 50 years. Because yes, 50 years after Roe v. Wade, you would think this country would have universal health care or some sort of some sort of metric in place that the rate of women dying after childbirth is the worst in the developing world, the developed world, I should say. So how we have gotten here is easily another episode in and of itself. But to what you were saying, Kia, this idea that where we are now, we're looking at, we're in the pandemic world, we're looking at how society is versus how we envision it and how as Americans we aspire it to be. And again, this issue of reproductive rights and women's health care and body sovereignty and all of these issues are coming to a forefront. The, the point that you made about lives being changed and how this 35, 40, 60 hour work week was not designed for two people to be working. That was designed, the structure is designed to support one person staying at home and taking care of the home, taking care of the family, et cetera. And so even that is, we are living in a time that's challenging some of these norms. And again, in a point where you would think we could make some headway on this particular one issue from 50 years ago, it's getting lost in that shuffle and it's frustrating. And I think that's the point. If we're constantly relitigating A and B, we can't address C. So we can address, as there there have been a million conversations about inadequacies that Black and brown women face in healthcare, just across the board. I'm talking about just going to the regular doctor. I am loath to believe that is not taking place in abortion clinics, but we can't address that because we're just trying to keep the building open. It keeps you off your guard when you're constantly having to deal with the basics and it's very clearly by design. I mean, we saw all those movies in the 80s where, you know, there's the little guy who takes on 
the big guy and their attorneys just throw paperwork at them and throw paperwork at them and, and, and they're overwhelmed. And that's literally what's happening to us. No one calls out the disconnect. I believe it was, I can't remember if it was Cassidy or Kennedy. I just remember the vowel, the, the consonant sound and it was a jerk I can't stand. But he said that he believes that people should be responsible for taking care of their own children. But it's also adamantly against abortion. Those two continents don't meet. That doesn't work at all. We have to figure out what we want. We see these restrictions, but we don't see corresponding bills that are providing programs for these kids if they're born in low-income families. We see these restrictions, but we don't see anything that provides postpartum mental care for parents who were not ready or who had reservations about carrying the pregnancy to term. So there's a disconnect. What you said earlier, Athena, it's not taking anything away from the organizers. It isn't, but it is a drain on the organizers who have done all this work and then the people we've elected don't do squat with it. It, it doesn't mean anything if we're, if we're doing all this work, but they're shaking hands with the folks that are standing in the way of our rights. What ends up happening, it's not that abortions won't happen anymore. They just won't be safe. So you're going to deal with a larger health crisis. And this is something that we say over and over, and we have to keep saying it. But more times than not, it's almost like shouting into the void because this is, none of this is new information, none of it. And it, it's a 50 year conversation. And some of that hypocrisy is absolutely playing out right now with this pandemic. Kids shouldn't wear masks in schools, not schools right yet. You know, how many of these senators and representatives' children are in school with masks and they're not challenging their own lives. The representative, whoever that might have been, Cassidy or Kennedy, that had said that statement, chances are that they've had childcare in their life. Somebody has come to their house and taken care of their child at some point. And yet here they are denying that right or access really to others is where the rubber hits the road on, on a lot of issues like this. To deny, and back to Keo's point, if you're looking at this from the lens of Christianity, you want do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why would you deny others the right to things that you readily have? And that is at the heart of what, what we're trying to fight for here. It's really them leaning into their power and their privilege and their economic well-being to make choices that they are denying other people. Because you can get rid of abortion in Texas. You can pass this awful law that bans it at six weeks, the most restrictive abortion ban in the United States but you still have access and the ability to fly out people to have abortions in other places. You still have the access to bring in childcare, to put your children in private schools, to make sure that they are receiving care. And you're doing this while denying black, brown, marginalized, poor folks, the ability to make choices about their bodies and also to have communities and structures to raise their kids and raise their kids well. The access, when we start talking about this, it, the cruelty is the point to keep people in their place for, for lack of a better term. And this will always, uh, whether it's money or healthcare, there will always be that pushback from people who don't want change, who benefit from things being the way they are. And they're going to do what they do. We're going to do what we do. So that means we have petitions. There are three. There's one that is specific to the state of Minnesota, protect access to safe abortion. The call sign for that is P is in Paul, F is in Frank, V is in Victor, L is in Lion, T is in Thomas, V is in Victor. We have another take federal action to prevent statewide abortion bans. That call sign is P is in Paul, 
A is in Apple, G is in Girl, V is in Victor, Q is in Quincy, Y is in Yo-Yo. One of my, I, I hate to say favorites, uh, considering the the topic, but we have one of our users who does a letter a day, who does an open letter a day, and this is day 64 of the letter a day to end forced birth. And that call sign is P is in Paul, D is in David, X is in Xavier, A is in Apple, V is in Victor, L is in Lion. You can text 50409 and have any of these letters sent. One of them, as I said, the first one is specific to Minnesota, but we've got Jonathan doing a letter a day. So that is something we, we continue to get signers Signers for those, which is just every time I see a new one, I perk up a little bit because this is the kind of this is the kind of work that we need. This is the type of work it takes that tireless, continuous, I'm going to talk until you hear me, which I greatly appreciate. And one of the reasons why we're all here. So we're talking about what happens. Kia, what can we do when it's someone like me, someone like Athena, someone like Christine? What is it that we can do from where we are now? That is a great question. What I would suggest that all people do is to look at the organizers who are on the ground, who are working with these communities, who are going to be most harmed by these abortion bans. There are abortion funds that are uh, prioritizing poor Black, brown folks who uh, need access to abortion and are making sure they're getting them. There are also organizations who are working on the legislative side of these things who are challenging these in courts to make sure that we continue to have access to abortion in wherever we are in the United States. I think the other thing is we need to codify Roe through federal legislation. We do that when we are able to get rid of the filibuster. So we really need to push the Senate, the Democratic majority in the Senate, to do what is necessary to end the filibuster. The filibuster has most recently stood in the way of voting rights legislation. And it is the big hindrance that is stopping us from getting the material change that we need in our lives to live well. One of the things that we like to talk about in in terms of the filibuster before was the, um, I think it was Build Back Better when, you know, everybody was crossing their fingers, hoping that Cinema and Mansion did the right thing and whatever. But it's not just that one thing. It's a matter of abolishing the filibuster and getting the legislation that we need passed, granted to us, that means it can be taken. And so it's beyond time for this back and forth argument to end. It does 100% need to be codified. In the face of what we're looking at with the potential challenges to Roe, how has your work shifted and what your focus looks like if things take a turn for the worse? What is what is that work looking like in preparing for what comes next? What does it look like? I guess you're saying like, if Roe is overturned, what does that look like? It, it looks like getting the money to the people who need it the most, to be absolutely honest. For me personally, I have the financial resources to like support people who are most in community with these organizations. One of those organizations that I support is here in Atlanta, Sister Song, who work with black and brown people who need abortion care and in the reproductive justice movement overall. So to make sure that I am, what I'm doing is like, I'm sitting in those webinars and I'm learning from them so I can take this information back into my communities. I'm also providing them with the financial resources that they need so that they can make sure that 
the individuals they're working with can get the care that they need. Also, Faith Group, there is a group in Ohio, I need to find the name, but they're working with faith leaders. I think it's important to remember, like Jewish, progressive Judaism comes to mind, but not all religion, it is not controversial in all religions to have abortions. Lots of progressive Jewish people see that as healthcare and they acknowledge a woman's right and ability to do that. That shows up in lots of our religious traditions. The problem is the religious right has been so loud in dominating this conversation that these other voices aren't coming up. And that's the culture change part of that, right? We're in a culture war that we don't know is a culture war, I feel like oftentimes. So to tell the stories of these peoples, to tell the stories of these different traditions, to let people know that there's not one way that this should be done, but women, people who need access to abortions should be given the dignity and the ability to choose what they what is going to happen with their bodies. I greatly appreciate that. There are organizations all over. There's a great organization here in New Orleans, uh, Women with a Vision, that supports particularly disadvantaged women, Black women in New Orleans, like we're a predominantly Black city, I think we're something like 60 something percent. And so that is one of the amazing organizations that that kind of focuses, but they're everywhere. They are literally everywhere. And we have to be willing to reach out and, and look and assist them. Athena, Christine, are there any organizations that you're familiar with? What have been your steps with your eyes on row? What have you taken away from this and how you're going to proceed should things take a turn for the worse? So for me, it's the levers of politics, right? We kind of play in the spaces that we're familiar with while supporting and Kia, I love that you've come on because that whole intersection of theology and this issue has really opened another area that I want to learn more about. But in my world, I'm just looking at who are the candidates. And I also realize there aren't a lot of people like us to actually go and do that research, right? What they stand for, because you have politicians in these purple zones or states that will say one thing, but they hush hush are going to vote another way. We're seeing that now. And so I would love to see in this year more data, more information on where these candidates stand and actually ask them these questions that are framed in a way where you can't be like sitting on the fence on something like this. So that that's kind of what comes up for me, right? Who are the politicians? What do they stand for? Who's going to hold them accountable throughout the course of their campaign on being consistent and putting it out there like, okay, great. Is you support a woman's right to choose? Hey, everyone, <laughs> right? This candidate right here is saying that pay attention to what they say in other fundraising situations, private circles, maybe we've seen that all right. That's, that's what comes to mind. I agree, especially that last comment. That's a great segue into what I have to say. Just this idea that it has to be private conversations. In many ways, we all know the people who want to have a better understanding of this. Everybody believes themselves to be good people. So it's a matter of appealing to that compassionate side and understanding some of the hypocrisy behind what we're asking when we're demanding some of these laws be put in place. 
choice extends not just from the womb, but to issues of education, of healthcare, what I talked about earlier, gun violence, the death penalty. How is the death penalty still in the books in this country? From there, it jumps on prison industrial complex. So this is consistent ethic of life is how I tend to approach my work and advocacy and all of this. And I am successful in some cases, but in, if not, then at least I am moving the needle, I feel, in some of the other issues to get people to see that larger picture of what they're trying to talk to. Because at the heart of what they're talking about, if you're looking for justice, if you're looking for equity, if you're looking for liberation, then that's not just, you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth or like you're, you're pro-in utero life. You're not pro-life if you're not supporting, providing the necessary means for a robust, fruitful, successful life after that. So conversations like that are gonna need to happen. I think obviously the filibuster needs to go. That just, I think if you're talking about all eyes on particular topics, I think voting rights, filibuster needs to go. But again, in the case of topics that tend to be as heated as this for some folks, I find that personal conversations need to advance. So if folks can continue to find the family members or the friends that either don't want to talk about this or don't seem to have an opinion, we're sort of beyond that, this is it. I, I totally agree in something that you said, it's not about being pro-life, it's pro-birth. And I don't even know if they're pro-birth because I don't think they give a damn if these women actually go to term. They just want to make sure that you don't have an abortion. Nothing about prenatal care, not adequate prenatal care, nothing about pro postpartum care. And unless these babies are born taking care of themselves, the health of the mother still matters. It's very clearly a disconnect. And then when you look at how these people, like you mentioned, gun laws and things like that, there's no actual concern for life. It's just a matter of control. One of the things you said earlier with regards to faith here that I, I appreciate and wanted to go back to, slamming a book. God don't like that is a really easy way to slam a book. It's like a cop out. It's lazy. It's so lazy because God don't like abortion. That's not enough. You get to ignore postpartum issues. You get to ignore maternal death. You get to ignore infant death. You get to ignore kids living in poverty. There are just these gaping holes and you just use this blanket argument, fold your hands and turn your head. And it's just, it's its not enough. It is absolutely not enough. There has to be an interrogation of faith when it comes down to this and not just somebody what someone tells you. I'm absolutely, I grew up in a very religious household and I still consider myself someone with an, a, a good relationship with God. And I had to interrogate what that meant to me, what abortion as healthcare meant to me as someone who is a Christian who actually, you know, does that thing Christ said and kind of like thinks about other people. So there's there's got to be more than just parroting a scripture someone told you they read that one time. It's got to be more than that. This is not enough. And what's happening is we're stripping people of their dignity. We're attempting to strip people of their dignity and using God doesn't like that as an excuse. But what God does like is for us to be able to live and thrive and to live lives with dignity. That requires us to be valued, respected, and treated ethically. That requires us to have autonomy over our bodies and our decisions and how our life will be. And we can't keep having discussions about life without ensuring life has dignity. We have to prioritize dignity in these conversations so that people can be taken care of and not just here to exist for the sake of existing. Absolutely. 
I I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Kia, thank you. Before we go, can you tell the folks where they can find you? Yes. So you can find me on all social media outlets at Kia Speaks. I also have a website, kiaspeaksalso.com. And you can go there and you can find some of my writings and connect with me and find out more about the work that I'm doing. Thank you. If you're not following Kia, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you should. She's probably, I guess we've been following, I've been following you. Maybe it's, it's gotta have been years. eight, 10 years. Yeah. One of the best, one of the best. So <laughs> highly recommend Christine, any parting thoughts before we go? Uh, no, you just opened up a whole other episode. I feel down the road, this whole intersection of education uh, as somebody who grew up 12 years in Catholic school, as you were talking, I was like, first they're going to do the CRT thing and what next in terms of education when it comes to our children and health and our views on these issues of living with dignity. So thanks, Mel. <laughs> You're well, oh, don't worry. The education episode is coming. <laughs> they're burning books. We got to do it. <laughs> like we, It's 2022 and they're burning books. So that episode is definitely coming. Thank you so much, Christine and Athena. Lots of process to think about on this episode so thanks everybody for that yeah i think we're going to continue to need to see that at the core of what a lot the, the common thread that a lot of these issues have is this continued oppression of the other so this idea that critical race theory is somehow challenging or making people people feel uncomfortable only people who are unaware of it or support it still in some weird way should feel uncomfortable about these kind of conversations. So shedding light on that, just recently, again, Amir Locke, we still have the police killing people. We had a lot of, I think, zeitgeist going on. I think a lot of people had eyes on this concept of police brutality and the lack of accountability in law enforcement. And I feel names have been read and yet we still haven't seen a lot go down in terms of actually addressing that across the country. So uh, again, whether it's policing women's bodies or it's policing our own homes, we need to continue to shine the light on issues and circumstances that in the larger scheme of things affect all of us as Americans trying to make a better society for ourselves. Especially if we're going to talk about valuing life, right? This has been Resist Spot Live. I want to thank everyone for joining us. If you want to know how you can volunteer or donate you can go to resist.bot. We're rolling out a lot of new features for our monthly donors. So I'm hoping that you join just resist.bot, even five bucks. Five bucks a month gets you a host of things. I would actually run out of time going through the list of things that, that you receive as a monthly contributor. But this is something where we're doing good work. We are making sure that we connect with legislators, with senators. When you write these letters, when you write to a letter, you are going to receive something back. It is received by a person. You are going to get a response. They have to respond to you. So I don't want anyone to feel like we're telling you to shoot this letter and then send it into the void. This is going to a person who is basically your employee. So I don't want any of us to forget that these people work for us. So make them earn their check. So if you want to know more, you can go to resist.bot. There's also a weekly blog. Uh, Susan, who's usually with us, there's a blog on resistbot. We have one every week that corresponds with our uh, podcast, our weekly podcast. So I highly recommend that you check out Susan's writing. She's amazing. And she always 
really does a deep dive into the topic to give you a greater understanding. You can subscribe to the podcast by going to resistbot.live. And wherever you find all your other podcasts, that's where you can find us. So you don't have to be chained to one particular podcast network if there's, I don't know, one that you maybe want to avoid for reasons. So you can go to resistbot.live and find us. Thank you. Athena gave us a great segue onto what we're going to be talking about next week. We are going to get into what defunding the police actually means and why it's a good thing. So I hope that you join us next Sunday at 1 p.m. And I'll see you then. Thank you. ResistBot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns, and we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a non-profit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.